Hi guys, welcome back. This is Diana. Good evening, Chantel. Our last episode, you guys were probably here right before this one because I have had issues posting it. So you're probably going to hear these back to back and I'm sorry, not sorry, I guess. I don't know. Like it is what it is. <laughs> it just, it is what it is. But we know that we've been behind the last week. Like last week we didn't, we didn't do anything or yeah. well, we, well, we tried to post last week, but we went a week without recording. We did. We went a week without recording and then it was the following week we recorded. Yes, that's right. And then I've been trying to upload it and I've contacted the company that does it for us and I'm waiting to hear back. So hopefully both of these will be uploaded by Wednesday. So you're going to have the two in one. <laughs> that's anyway. what she said. That's what she said. So welcome back. My week was all right. I'm not even going to ask how your week was because you guys never answer. <laughs> and I don't know how to feel about that. You guys never answer. I'm tired of talking to nobody. I am so tired of talking to nobody. <laughs> I'm okay. Like my week was there. Chantel's on the other hand. <laughs> Please tell everybody. Oh boy. So I'm sure you all have gathered by now that I seem to be a magnet for vehicle problems. Mm-hmm. It's like, no matter how hard I try. And actually, like, I take really good care of my vehicles, but it just, I also drive, have always driven older vehicles too. Mm. So naturally, you know, wear and tear, their age starts to show, right? So that's always my issue is their age is showing. But it just seems to be funny because every time I turn around lately, it seems like there's something going on with my truck. But it's always really minor too, which is nice. It's nothing overly serious. So that's good. Well, actually, mind you, this time it was pretty serious. I was going to say it's minor, but like... <laughs> serious minor but serious yeah because it was actually really cheap to fix yeah which was so refreshing it was normally nice. costs a fucking fortune yep and so yeah this was super cheap i think collectively it was like under 20 bucks yeah it was super cheap which is like unheard of minus was, the the time yeah but, exactly like, you didn't actually pay anyone no but, we're our own mechanics yes totally <laughs> yeah so that that's nice too is we never have to pay for mechanics mm -hmm. but that means that we have to go through it which can really suck but uh, we do save a lot of money yep yeah, so last Thursday, I was working and driving around Kelowna, and I was driving back to our office in Rutland, and all of a sudden, my brake pedal hit the floor, and I had no brakes. So that's super comforting. Uh-huh. Uh, this has never happened to me before. I've never, ever lost my brakes in a vehicle, so that was really scary. And I almost hit the person in front of me, but luckily I was going slow enough, and I still had enough brake fluid left that I was able to stop. And, uh, yeah, so I, I barely missed them. Like, I just avoided rear-ending them. And so, turned on to Spall and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And just in a state of shock, right? Like, mm -hmm. what the fuck is wrong with my brakes? I have no fucking brakes. And I'm driving. Stop. I can't stop. Yeah, I can't stop. And so, once I went through the lights on Spall, uh, there's an apartment complex. So, I whipped into there and then proceeded to sit there for collectively about five hours. But there was a bunch of things that happened in between. I didn't just... The hell was that? Oh. The juice. Sorry. I was like... Oh, don't be sorry. It's okay. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, things happened within that five hours. I didn't just fucking sit there twiddling my thumbs in my truck. I made... Yeah, you did. <laughs> you know what? At some point, I did. I definitely you did. You literally went... <laughs> Waiting. There were definitely a few points where I, yeah, like, had nothing to do. Because I was just waiting. Um, but uh, yeah, I had to make a bunch of phone calls for work because I had someone's paycheck. And uh, this happened at about approximately about 125. I had to get uh, a coworker to come and pick up our other coworker's check and bring it to her. 
get a hold of my boss and luckily i was just uh, like a block away from a gas station or two blocks away mm-hmm. so i walked to a gas station down the road and picked up brake fluid oh yeah i kind of glossed over this that when i got into the apartment complex i checked the reservoir in my engine and it was like empty mm-hmm. so i knew i was like okay well something something's going on either my master cylinder's gone or there's a leak somewhere something so i go down to get brake fluid and i fill it back up and then I started slowly pumping my brakes and nothing was changing. I got out of my truck and I was standing on the ground, but I crouched down and I pumped the brake with my hand and I looked behind, like up above, kind of behind the tire on my driver's side and it was just pissing out brake fluid. I knew there was a leak in the hose and my friend Rachel's fiance, Ryan, came and uh, helped me out with it. He brought vice grips and sealed off the line for me. I didn't have any vice grips with me. And so that was nice of him. And uh, that thing of brake fluid that I ended up buying from gas station, I literally just pumped all of the fluid out. So, I mean, I tried, but total waste of money. I had to make a bunch of calls, told Jamie what was going on, told Diana what was going on. And then eventually I got a hold of uh, a parts store in Kelowna. And uh, I know the owner of the store really well. So I had him get his driver, like parts driver, to Mm -hmm. bring me a new hose and a big bottle of brake fluid. And my plan was to fix it Thursday night when I was going to get towed home. Mm -hmm. So I could go to work Friday morning. And then I sat there for, well, I sat there again, like I said, for about five hours. And I would say a good chunk about a good chunk of that, about three hours or so, I waited for the tow truck. See, I'm doing it again. I'm leaning back. You are. Fuck. And before she took the tow truck. Oh, yeah. She wanted to drive home. Well, I didn't want to. I was terrified. Sorry. To. Well, okay, fine. I was like, okay, she I was like, well, oh, no. I guess Ryan clamped my tube. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> sorry ryan but i clamped it so i'm gonna try and make it home and i was like no you're not like fuck no (laughs) no (laughs) so i made her call a fucking tow truck because no and that was it yeah no (laughs) just no and diana let me use her roadside assistance (laughs) i have roadside assistance too but it's not it's nothing special so i would have been over kilometers so yeah i was like well yeah there's really no point in calling mine because i know they're not going to take me home without charging me an arm and a leg for it too Mm -hmm. so diana was like no just use mine so i was like okay thank you so i just pretended to be her yep yeah so i'm glad that i didn't drive it home and i was scared too Mm -hmm. i was i i felt like i was trying to prepare myself like talking myself into it because i was so fucking scared to drive that thing home and i would have had no brakes in the front left side of my truck only the other three tires so anytime i stop it'd be pulling me to the right i mean that's also bad too because it can throw your vehicle out of alignment yep so that's also not good and then if the vice grips had come off at any point i would have no brakes none yeah it just was the risk was way too high i mean as it is the fact that i lost my brakes in traffic i am so fucking lucky that i didn't hit a pedestrian yep cause a major accident and Mm -hmm. it would have been my fault totally malfunction or not it would have been my fault i am so fucking lucky that it went as smooth as it did it did yeah and if this had happened when the roads were an ice rink like a few weeks ago you'd be fucked i would have been so fucked totally fucked yeah i would have definitely either caused an accident accident. yeah Yeah, i would have for sure hit him yeah or anywhere else i would have caused an accident or i would have had to put my truck in the ditch Mm -hmm. when i was on the phone with my dad because i called him too and told him what was going on I said to him, I was like, I am so lucky that this didn't happen coming down Shoot Lake Road by Summerhill Winery, that steep part of the road. Oh, I know. I would have been fucked. I would have literally, I would have just had to put my truck in the ditch. You would have Dukes of Hazard it <laughs> off that fucking street into a winery. <laughs> 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 oh, 
That was that was pretty fucking crazy. And then it kind of kiboshed my whole thing. Oh no, I did. I haven't touched on this yet. Sorry, the tow truck driver wouldn't take me home. I didn't mm-hmm. mention that yet. Yeah. So he gets to me, and uh, yeah, because of where I live, living in the mountains, BCAA apparently BCAA. What the fuck? You need to get onto this. They don't cover the tow truck driver when they have to go into four wheel drive. And living where I do, he which is had to. so dumb. Because, I know. Like, there's mountains everywhere here. I know. Like, hello. Do you know where we fucking live? British Columbia. Yeah. I mean, B-C-A-A. <laughs> right? Seriously. Like, come on, B-C-A-A. And they Fuck. would have to. Even me. Yeah. My driveway. They would need 4 by 4 They would have to put it in 4 by 4 and charge me extra. And it's like... Are you fucking my kidding My driveway's me? not long at all. No. It's just, like, really steep for this little section yeah. of it. And they would have to charge me extra. So why am I paying? I, I've got the premium package with them. Why am I paying for that if they can't even fucking tow my shit home without charging me extra? I know. It's stupid. I've actually wanted to look into it because a part of me wondered if that tow truck driver was bullshitting me because he didn't want to do it. Maybe. It could be. It's I've quite been, possible. It is possible. I've been meaning to look into it and call BCAA and ask them because mm-hmm. I can't help but have this feeling that that's not entirely true. Because think about it too, that tow truck driver that you called up for I Jamie. I was just going to say. Right? I was just going to say that time that was up there. Yeah. He said to us, most driver, most tow truck drivers would not take no. this. And he did. And he put fucking man effort into that and he He, did a good job incredible but he did say to us that day that most would would decline it Mm -hmm. and it was on that fucking road that this guy said he would have to charge you extra for and this guy didn't no it was bcaa it's just a different driver Mm -hmm. so that's why yeah i can't help but feel like this guy may have been bullshitting me because he didn't want to do it yeah so regardless it's it is what it is i asked him i was like okay well can you just tell me to my best friend's house then so he was like yeah sure yeah, he felt a lot better about it when he knew that he didn't have to go to go down a driveway. Yeah. And I told him that he wouldn't make it down anyways. No. And so I told him, yeah, there's just like a parking area on the side of the road. You can just dump my truck off there. Mm-hmm. So my whole notion of wanting to fix my truck Thursday night and go to work Friday morning was kiboshed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wouldn't have worked anyways, even if I wanted to, because it turned out that I needed to replace the entire line to the brake box. So it was a whole thing. It was one hang up after the next. And again, that just comes with the age of my vehicle. The brake lines had never been changed before. Everything was rusted and seized. Mm-hmm. So it's never cut and dry with, with uh, old vehicles. If you need to change one piece, you can guarantee you're not to change stuff behind it. And to get to that one piece. And that's basically what it was. Yeah. The other line, even though it were, was rusted, it was fine, but we couldn't get it off. Okay. So it was like, we need to just basically break it off and then we have to replace it because we can't replace this without busting this off. Yeah. So it was just, it was one of those things constantly. We went to Lordco in total about five times. Yeah, you did. Right? I didn't go to work Friday, which was a total piss off. And then uh, we were working on it all the way till Sunday. Then finally got it done. So it that doesn't, was a fiasco. It, yeah. And it doesn't help that it gets dark at what? five four four between four and five now or something like that yeah like by four o'clock when i'm off work it's getting it's starting to get dark yeah so it's the time of year as well if and i I remember right i think i said no i did say this to you it was you know if it were summer oh yeah we'd have it done in like one day you'd have it done the one day but because it was it was winter and the sun is going down so early Mm -hmm. you couldn't uh yeah so it was not preferable ideal no situation fuck working on vehicles in the winter man i yeah. hate it yeah Ugh. i'll do it though like i'll gripe about it the whole time but i'll do it yeah and i'll even offer my services to help people i'll rope myself into which something to helping them which i have which she has done yep yep, yep. Mm-hmm. and like the next job that i have coming up is going to be very big <laughs> very big and i'm laughing like <laughs> but like i i i mean i didn't mean it that way it just came out that way but like <laughs> i know it's gonna not be fun for you <laughs> 
at all but no. you're doing a friend a favor and that's really fucking nice of you but you. yeah it's very nice of you but Thank like you. fuck yeah like fuck is exactly it and I, i'm not saying this to like as a credit thing i'm just explaining that like i'll even though i hate it doing mechanics in mm-hmm. the winter i'll do it to help my friends or, or totally. anyone really because i know what it's like yep. to need the help especially in a time like winter yeah some things it's a two-person job you just you need someone else with you type of thing yeah and so it's it's hard to come by good mechanical help especially in the winter so been there done that fucking start in every show <laughs> so i'll be there to help my friends who need it totally yeah <laughs> so that's chantelle's auto hour <laughs> <laughs> oh but it gets better oh right suicidal bambi fuck i forgot about that yep go ahead <laughs> so last night when i was driving home from diana's yeah i've been here since pretty thursday. much since thursday yeah i went home last night to sleep and go to work and i'm back here again today to record yep, yep. but now i i don't think i'll be back until probably the weekend because uh, we're going to be editing and stuff so and then writing yeah so yeah so we're either going to record like friday or saturday or something like something that, like that like, yeah. yeah so yeah so <clears throat> driving home last night and i had cecily with me and it's nighttime and i have no peripheral vision with my glasses on so i didn't see anything until the last minute and all of a sudden i see this fucking deer bounding right towards my truck hmm. and not like in front of me she was beside me and so I seen her again, like last minute. So I swerved my truck to the right because mm-hmm. otherwise I was going to take her out. I would have maybe not written off my truck, but she would have done a lot of damage to the front end of my truck. And I knew in that moment that a collision was going to happen of some sort. Mm-hmm. It was unavoidable. It was too sh- like short of notice for me to react. Something was going to happen. So I swerved my truck to the right and I was hoping that what I did, it would kind of snap her out of it because I think she was blinded and just in like literally that deer in the headlights mode of yep. trying to get past me. And I laid on my horn too when I swerved and I was hoping it would snap her out of it and she'd run away from me, mm-hmm. but she didn't and she just piled into my driver's door and I was really worried about her. I asked Cecily immediately if she was okay because I, I mean, I knew she would be fine. Yeah. She's totally. in the back. The deer hit my door. Like Cecily's going to be fine. Yeah. But emotionally speaking. Yeah. Because I didn't know if she's seen it happen and she knew something was wrong because I started like kind of yelling and swearing. I was like, shit. And Fuck. like laid on my horn and stuff. Right. And I swerved my truck all of a sudden. So she knew something was going on, mm-hmm. but she was okay. So I turned around and she was gone and I looked in the ditch and she wasn't anywhere. So I hope she's okay, but she's probably got one fucking hell of a headache. Probably. Poor thing. Yeah. I, oh, I seen her head hit my window and I'm lucky too that she didn't bust my window out, but it was really unsettling for me because I felt it yeah. and heard it. And it was her body hitting yeah. my, my truck. Ugh. And that was the first time I've ever had a collision with an animal. Aww. So it really sucked. I almost hit two moose ones years ago when I was like 19. I think I told you that. Yeah. In my did. first truck. I really hope I never, ever, ever have to experience I that. I hope you don't either. And I am shocked that I haven't with uh, yeah. pre-COVID, the yeah. amount of time I was on the road. I know. It's shocking <laughs> that honestly it hasn't happened to you yet. Yeah. I have not experienced it and I am super fucking grateful because I, I would I would probably fall to pieces on the side of the road. Don't know how I would react other than that. But it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, it still could happen, but I'm super grateful it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I, me too. Yeah. For your sake. Because I know, uh, like, of all people, how much it would affect you. Yeah. And, yeah, on that premise alone, I hope you never have to deal with it. I really hope not. Because, yeah, I know how much it would break you. Oh, so. fuck, it would. Remember that time I was coming down from Armstrong and a bird? Oh, 
I think I remember the story. Yeah, yeah. it bounced. Like, I, I saw it coming, but it was kind of too late. It bounced, and then I went under, and then I saw it flat in my, my rearview mirror. I had to pull over, and I fucking bawled my eyeballs out. Oh, and honey. I felt so sick when I got home. Like, it ruined my day. Oh, like, for I it would ruin my day, too. Yeah. Like, I was just, like, mad and disgusted and, like, angry and it just ruined my whole day yeah and it took me a while to kind of shake that off i know it's just a burden some no, people no, no, no. some of you that's guys are probably like it's just a fucking bird that's totally legit but i felt sick i would too i would feel so, same thing it yeah. would i would be a mess i was a mess yeah for sure i can totally understand that that's yeah. a little creature right yeah that's a little living being like Ugh, I oh was, i couldn't i was imagine. heartbroken i was fucking heartbroken and again it happened so fast it was like boom boom oh yeah done there's nothing you can do and on west side road there they're like there it's a narrow yeah windy road all the way down from vernon armstrong whatever and there's no pull-offs really no it's the side of the mountain it's the side of the mountain yeah so there was nothing i could do at all no i i, I didn't even have time to break like it happened so fast mm -hmm. it was like me with the deer I was preparing myself when I went back. I was like, I need need to make sure that she's either okay or yeah. she's not okay. Or she's not okay. And yeah. if she's not okay, I was going to deal with it myself. No, I understand. Yeah, I, I know that. I would have put her out of her misery if she was laying yeah. there dying. There's and no Chant fucking way. Chantel has offered that service to me over the years. Yep. <laughs> that if I ever did hit a deer yep. and it obviously wasn't okay that she would come to the rescue and help put that animal out of its misery because there's no way I could. No, I know. Yeah, you can. And I would. So she's you. offered to do that and i appreciate that so fucking much because <laughs> there's no way and i obviously wouldn't want the animal to suffer either no. so it's not fair no exactly fuck no no so, hard yeah. conversation it's yeah. fuck yeah well enough about sad yeah enough about dead animals <laughs> and sad 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 stuff so sad so chantelle's truck is fine yeah it's back on the road it's all good it's back on the road everyone's alive <laughs> God. including the deer <laughs> including the deer and this is all great <laughs> yeah it all turned out literally as as amazing as it could have yep like as smoothly as it not amazing but you know what i mean yeah you all know what the fuck i mean well yeah you should anyway right by this point if you don't know us get the hell out of here but yeah when we say shit we like literally mean what we say yeah it's like that's it there's no like hidden agenda or nope. hidden uh, message for all you conspiracy fucking theorists and <laughs> and hey i'm not saying i don't believe in any of them <laughs> and i know chantelle does too but come on there's some shit it's just it's boom cut and dry totally and what we say is cut and dry yep it is what it is and it's law <laughs> yes what we say is fucking law fuck yeah <laughs> oh my so yeah that's that folks <laughs> and Crazy we're gonna stuff. yeah totally we're gonna get into our stories who went first last time you've gone first the last two times sweet so you're going i am going first sweet uh-huh okay i have to say i'm excited that i'm going first <gasps> i'm very excited too because i mean obviously i'm excited to hear your story for sure yeah but i have been super excited to share this story with you i didn't realize i went first the last two times but we never know we never know that until we actually like listen and we're like oh yeah well that's what <laughs> that's how i figured it out because i listened to the past episodes i'm like ah she went both times first and we we're like i don't know just go first yeah pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah. much not that it fucking no matters. it doesn't matter at all but yes but okay. yeah now i'm like i'm going first <laughs> go okay so i have several sources okay you'll understand why okay so sources are nbc news the new york times los angeles times npr.org wikipedia w okay i don't know if it's wmur.com or wmur.com 
I don't know. You just spelled it out. So M-U-R. That's good. <laughs> okay. Biography.com. I've finally done my sources. <gasps> I've got two of those on mine. Oh, nice. I'm so excited to tell you this. I named my story Unacceptable Risk. Bear with me for the trigger warning because this is literally the only one that I could think of. Okay. Sudden death. All right. And with sudden death is, you know, like just this is it could be a trigger as well for people. Like the acceptance of the immeasurable grief that accompanies sudden death. So, yeah. Listener's right. discretion is advised. People are going to suddenly die. <laughs> yes. And I, oh my God, I should not have giggled. I didn't mean to. We're cutting no, that out. Well, I mean, I said it for comedic I suppose so, but I guess because I know the story, I'm like, oh my god, I shouldn't tell you fucking asshole. No, but I'm an asshole because I said, (laughs) you know, what I said. We both are. We're total assholes. Right? All right. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, my asshole friend. (laughs) My asshole bestie. Yes. On January 28th, 1986, one of the biggest catastrophes in history unfolded and the entire world witnessed it. What was supposed to be one of the greatest accomplishments for American science ended in immeasurable tragedy and the cover-up soon began surfacing. The trauma for the families who had to accept what they just witnessed in person in Florida at 11.39 a.m. would be beyond our worst nightmares. After reviewing live footage, it was adamantly clear that trauma responses varied, but once the darkness and realization that all seven astronauts had perished, the coming undone Uh for everyone was devastating okay you know what i'm talking about yeah i do tonight i'm gonna tell you all about the tragic 1986 space shuttle challenger explosion and how this was completely avoidable had greed and power not been at the focal point of launching this rocket that had no business being launched over the previous nine years from 1986 the challenger had launched on nine separate occasions bringing american space travel to some significant breakthroughs such as the first astronaut run satellite repair the first space lab, as well as bringing the first African-American person, the first Asian-American person, and the first woman to space. The Challenger's most closely watched and anticipated launch was without a doubt the 10th and last one. Any disaster of this magnitude is a major tragedy. However, the Challenger's inevitable disaster was especially tragic due to the fact that it was carrying a crew that reflected the diversity of the United States and multiculturalism that was beginning to make an appearance after the Civil Rights era. Most of the astronauts aboard were making their mark in history in some capacity, and it left many of their communities in deep and profound grief. A social studies and English teacher named Krista McAuliffe, I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, from New Hampshire, was eager to teach her students about everything she was about to discover in our universe. Krista was also the first civilian given permission to fly into space, and she earned her spot in the crew by winning the Teacher in Space Project a project that had been initiated by former President Ronald Reagan and NASA. They had received over 11,000 applications for this voyage. The two lessons that Krista had planned for her students were titled as The Ultimate Field Trip. Oh, that's awesome. Brilliant. Right? Right? (laughs) Fuck yeah, it is. Holy shit. Yep. Where we've been, where we're going, why? That was the other one. Mm Mm-hmm. Krista has left behind a legacy which has been honored by schools giving out awards and scholarships in her name. Uh, Again, I apologize if I'm saying any of these names wrong. I'm I'm doing my best. Ellison Onizuka was the first Asian American as well as the first person with Japanese ancestry to venture into space. He was born in Hawaii and brought that culture with him everywhere he went, including in his work for the military and NASA. Ellison was an engineer who served in the armed forces during the 1970s as a test pilot. 
1978, he was chosen out of 35 individuals for NASA's new astronaut program since 1969. He had flown on a previous space shuttle mission in 1985, and he was rever revered as a hero in the Asian community as well as Hawaii. He now has an Air Force station, streets, as well as an asteroid and crater on the moon named in his honor. Oh. He is described as a kind person who is beloved by all and very intelligent and very driven. Ronald McNair was the second African-American person to reach space. And I'd like to start this off like his story with telling everyone how Ronald made a lasting impression in history and his own future with his determination as a young boy to check out a library book despite dealing with a racist librarian. The police were called, but Ronald knew his rights, and even at nine years old and coming from a low-income community in South Carolina, so, you know, with that, I'm just, yeah, Ugh. so proud of him. Yeah. Um, he stood his ground and read his own rights and took that book out of the library. Good for him. Right? And it should never come to that, obviously, and the fact that it happened constantly and still does is disgusting. Yep. However, I just have so much respect for kids who stand up to adults who automatically carry a, like a title of authority. Yeah. Right. Um, not to mention the fact that Ronald was probably dealing with white cops and a white librarian. Yep. And if anybody knows, please let us know because I'm taking a shot in the dark. <clears throat> I'm, I'm guessing you're uh, pretty accurate. I would say so, too. I think so. I, she yeah. was probably dealing with that. Right. Yeah. This nine year old boy who, you know, like comes from a, a difficult situation and he's standing up to these people i'm just so proud of him yeah me um, too good yeah. for him um no sh human should ever be placed in ronald's situation period but for a kid to dig up the strength and just say no fuck you and your disgusting opinions yep. i know my rights is an act of heroism throughout history and for the future mm -hmm. this bravery he possessed at nine years old surely helped pave the way for him while growing up and facing major injustice in the 70s and 80s and more specifically while fighting for his right at the table in the science community yep ronald earned his phd in physics from mit a few years after that accomplishment he was invited to join the class of 1978 at nasa ronald had many talents and is described as a very sharp-minded intelligent man he was also a six-degree black belt in karate and a revered saxophone player. Aboard his first flight on the Challenger in 1984, he was the first person to play music in space and had dreams of becoming the first person to play a concert via live feed during the 10th and final launch of the Challenger. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Judith Resnick was 28 years old when she was asked to join the 1978 team for NASA, and she scored a perfect 1600 on her SAT. Wow. Judith attended, uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this, Carnegie, C-A-R-N-E-G-I-E, and then like Melon. C-A-R-N-E-G-I-E. Okay. Carnegie sounds about right. Carnegie, I don't know. <laughs> and then it's like Melon, M-E-L-L-O-N, Melon, Carnegie Melon. I don't fucking I don't know. know. All right. For her undergraduate and then earned her PhD in electrical engineering from the University of Maryland fucking smarty pants mm -hmm. yeah in between obtaining her two degrees she was employed by rca and aided high level projects including nasa and then continued on to work for the national institutes of health as a biomedical engineer her intelligence and capabilities impressed many and she joined nasa one year after receiving her doctorate and then went on to spend the next five years training to be an astronaut while working on multi-space related projects judith was the first jewish woman and first american jew to launch into space 
<laughs> kind of cracks me up when I read that out loud. Right? I just feel like, like, launching someone into space. <laughs> I feel horrible laughing right now. They yeeted a motherfucker into space. Sorry. Not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're coming from. I was imagining the same thing. When you say yeet, it sounds better. They yeeted her into space. Oh, no, but I don't want to think about someone yeeting Judith into space. I do. <laughs> oh, my God, Diana. Because <laughs> it just, like, sounds better. Oh, my God. It just sounds better. Oh, Christ on a cracker. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> we definitely are keeping that in. Totally. <laughs> It's funny when you visualize it. <laughs> Visualizing it Why is just like... Why do you think like, I can't stop fucking laughing? Yeah. It's, it's like that meme I sent you with, uh, what is it, the, you know, the French parents ver- versus whatever. And, like, when they bring their kids to school and some of them just eat them over the, over the fucking gate. Bye! <laughs> I have to find it. It's so funny. I cried. I was laughing so hard. I fucking cried. Because I understood it to the depths of my core. So funny. Yeah, just eating sounds so much better. It just makes it funnier. Alright. Okay. I'm looking away from you. I'm looking Don't down. Don't look at me. I'm looking down. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking down. <laughs> so you can... Uh, continue. <laughs> I am oh not looking God. at her. I am looking down because I know if I look at her, it will be bad. Yeah, you cannot look at me in a serious situation. I can't. Fucking do not look at me. I'm looking down. <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> Judith is revered as a very intelligent, determined, and capable woman who had a bubbly personality. Dick Scobie was a commander of the Challenger for the 10th and final launch the morning of January 28th. He had a substantial career in the Air Force and NASA, and he served in the Vietnam War, flying for combat missions for three years, before returning to the U.S. to become a test pilot for aircraft in the late 70s. He aced all of his tests and was renowned for his calm and level-headed demeanor and knowledge of flight like he was born with the ability to fly. His first taste as a pilot was in the Challenger during the 1984 launch in April, marking that as the Challenger's fifth flight. Gregory Jarvis spent his entire career with aeronautics, starting with a career in the Air Force during the Vietnam War and working in the Space Division. Gregory specialized in satellites, and after his discharge, he began a new career with Hughes Aircraft, a major contractor for military and NASA. This is where he eventually worked on space-related projects. He was set to be a part of the launch in April of 1985, however, he was continuously getting bumped out of line and was finally placed on the 10th and final launch in 1986. Gregory had an exceptional work ethic and didn't let adversity get him down. Michael J. Smith was a veteran for the Vietnam War and joined NASA at the beginning of the 80s. He spent a great deal of his time during the 80s helping the space agency develop new parts and procedures for the space shuttle program. Michael seemed to know immediately that there was trouble at the beginning of the launch in 1986. If you listen to the audio recordings between the astronauts, you can hear Michael exclaim, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, 
That's never good. <laughs> no, that's never good. No. I gotta put that down as a title. <laughs> Irwin, go away. <laughs> I love us. I love us too. I like so us. fucking much. I know, right? Me too. Fuck. <laughs> like I'm like I honestly think back on my life pre you and I'm like very sad. Aw, same. Seriously. Yeah. It's like uh very sad. I don't know what else to put it. And yeah, like when people, I used I used to be very envious of people that had and envious not in a bad way, but no, I was I just like I mean. wanted it so bad, yeah, like for sure. people that had that friendship, like that relationship. And now I'm having and you too, like having people saying I want that, and it's like I understand, mm-hmm. I've been there, right? I hope you find it too. <laughs> yes, because I get it. I love us. Me too. So much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. We're pretty great. We are. I tell people that, like, the party starts when we get there. Fuck yeah. And if they <laughs> don't know... your face. And if they don't know, they'll find the fuck out. Sorry. No, that was awesome. <laughs> I gotta figure out where I was. Oh, yeah. The end of my sentence was that Michael was a beloved father of three and a husband. Now, because money and funding was at the focal point of this launch, NASA and Congress were expecting this voyage to pay for itself through testing in space. This launch was going to be patented as an expressway into space for big contractors to conduct testing, and they were also funding NASA at the time of the program. Pressure's on. Uh-huh. When money's involved. Right. And profit. Science? Yeah, and profit. When profit is involved. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. There was the goal of making NASA independently funded or paid, which never happened because in spite of what they wanted, it was an experimental technology and they continued to fall behind. NASA began working very closely with private contractors who were designing and building the Challenger systems while NASA engineers analyzed data. Is there a data? Data. I never know how to say it. They're both acceptable. Okay. <laughs> you sounded very, like, unsure. Data? Uh, analyze data? Data? Data, data. And honestly, it's like tomato, tomato. Tom- yeah, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Yeah. Caramel, caramel. Exactly. Caramel's wrong. It's caramel for all you weirdos. You're allowed to be wrong. Uh, (laughs) 1,000%. Yep. So data, data, whatever. All right. (laughs) So let me restart that sentence. Sure. NASA began working very closely with private contractors who were designing and building the Challenger systems while NASA engineers analyzed data to keep record on the progress of performance. Record low temperatures were predicted for the morning of the launch. In fact, it was recorded as a record low for a space shuttle launch. The air temperature was estimated to drop to minus 8 degrees Celsius overnight before warming to minus 6 degrees Celsius at 6 a.m. and minus 3 degrees Celsius at the scheduled launch time of 9.38 a.m. Engineers had warned NASA to not lift off below 10 degrees Celsius. So it's like real fucking cold. Yeah. Real fucking cold. Just a little bit. NASA. This particular shuttle was attached to an external fuel tank and two separate rocket boosters. Each of the boosters were constructed of metal tubes. The field joints were sealed with two rubber gaskets known as O-rings. One thing engineers began noticing about these O-rings that were meant to seal the booster joints was their inability to behave according to their design. On several flights, particularly during cold temperatures, rocket propellant had blown by the primary O-ring. 
it became a temperamental issue for the shuttle, and each time this occurred, the secondary O-ring prevented gases from escaping the side of the booster. And when NASA had a responsibility to stall the program without question and absolutely jeopardize the deadline, they waived the safety requirements that governed O-rings. Yikes. Yeah, fucking yikes. They also garnered a not-so-great reputation of expanding the boundaries for acceptable risk. <laughs> Because they're not the ones on no, that it's shuttle. other you people. Know? So, like, obviously, let's treat them like guinea pigs. So, fuck them and right? their families and <sighs> And stuff. all their fucking hard work. Like, all of them are absolute geniuses. Mm-hmm. Every last one of them. But fuck them. But fuck them. But fuck them. Sorry. <laughs> the way you said it. But fuck them. <laughs> or but fuck them. Where's the apostrophe in that sentence? You mean the comma? Uh, that's what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) It could be an apostrophe. Maybe. I don't know. No, it would be a comma. Fuck them or, but fuck them. Punctuation is important. It is very important. And apparently I really suck at it right now, (laughs) but I understood that what you said was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for pointing it out. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Uh, Of course. (laughs) Oh, dear. On January 27th, 1986, Alan McDonald, the director of the booster rocket project at NASA and responsible for the two rockets that were filled with explosive fuel, was set to make his inspections on the entire setup and either pass or fail it as being fit to launch. And with that, sign and submit a form. Alan stated, quote, and I made the smartest decision I ever made in my lifetime. I refused to sign it. I just thought we were taking risks we shouldn't be taking, end quote. Allen was very steadfast in his decision and continuously challenged NASA with his three reasons to delay launch. Number one, freezing temperatures overnight that could compromise the booster rocket joints. Number two, ice was forming on the launch pad and the spacecraft, which could damage the orbiter heat tiles at launch. And three, a forecast of rough seas at the booster rocket recovery site. He also said flat out to NASA officials, quote, if anything happens to this launch, I wouldn't want to be the person that has to stand in front of a board of inquiry to explain why we launched, end quote. Allen was unequivocally a hero for a minimum of two reasons. One, he refused to sign off on the form to launch for the night before. And two, he exposed NASA for their part in a massive cover up. Allen ended up being promoted to vice president within the company he worked for and was put in charge of redesigning the booster rocket joints that failed during the 10th launch. And by 1988, the redesign was a success. He became an enormous advocate for ethical decision making and spent a good portion of his retirement speaking with engineering students, engineers and managers. Allen and Chapman University's mayor held seminars focused on leadership and ethics to government agencies, corporations, including U.S. Space Command. This is a quote from the mayor. What we should remember about Al McDonald is he would often stress his laws of the seven R's. And this is great. It was always, always do the right thing for the right reason at the right time with the right people. Mm. And you will have no regrets for the rest of your life. End quote. And his ability to reframe the concept of regret in another light, paraphrasing a favorite quote from the late journalist Sidney J. Harris. I fucking love this quote, too. It's awesome. Quote, 
Regret for things we did is tempered by time, but regret for things we did not do is inconsolable. End quote. So that, my friends, is fucking true. Yep. Unfortunately, in 2016, Alan passed away at the age of 83 on a Saturday in Ogden, Utah, after suffering a fall and brain damage. Although Alan's death was tragic and he left behind his four children and his wife, Linda, he also left behind a legacy of living up to his own advice, doing the right thing at the right time with the right people. And that is my story on the tragic and completely avoidable disaster of the Space Shuttle Challenger explosion in 1986. Thank you. I'm clapping. <laughs> For anyone that's wondering what that noise is. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Thank I you. do remember that story. So avoidable. Oh, yeah, it was so avoidable. Yikes. So I'm going to get into my story. Yeah, let's hear this shit. Yeah, I think you need to hear it because I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I definitely need to hear it. Mm -hmm. My sources are Wikipedia, Britannica.com, an article from Toronto Sun, and Biography.com. Triggers, infant deaths, but it doesn't go into a lot of detail. It's just, I know it's a trigger for people. So there is a, a mention of it. So I just got to get that out there. For sure. Description of gruesome murders, but not as gruesome as some of the other shit I've talked about. Murder and suicide. So my story is about the order of the solar temple cult. Oh, cult story. Cult story. Fuck yeah. Yeah. In French, order du temple solaire. <laughs> order, order <laughs> du temple solaire. So <laughs> the short form is OTS, and that is how I'm going to refer to it for the rest of this story. So the OTS is a cult and religious sect that claims to trace its history to the Knights Templar which is a military religious order founded in the 12th century. OTS was founded in 1984 by Joseph de Mombro and Luc Giraud. Luc was a 46-year-old homeopath and New Age lecturer. He was born in Africa but lived in Belgium and Canada before forming the order. OTS is associated with a series of murders, surprise, surprise, mass suicides, another surprise, and they are saying that they claimed 74 lives minimum. 74 lives minimum? Minimum. And these lives are claimed in France, Switzerland, and Canada between 1994 and 1995. The cult planted roots in Quebec... In the mid-80s, they allegedly threatened several Quebec members of Parliament. They were suspected of bombing Hydro-Quebec transmission towers and plotting to obliterate Indigenous reserves. The people of Quebec were shocked when they found out who some of these cult members were, saying that they didn't look like cult members. Most of these people look normal yeah exactly bunny ears right but like yeah. I, I understand the shock yeah for sure because they're like what yeah nevertheless yeah yeah historians allege that the ots was founded by french author jacques brayer who established 
a sovereign order of the Solar Templar in 1952. In 1986, a schism order was renamed the Renewed Order of the Solar Temple under the leadership of the French right-winged political activist Julian Origas. According to the Roman Catholic canon law, a schematic person is a baptized person who calls themselves a Christian but refuses submission to the Pope or fellowship with members of the church. Schism occurs when a single religious body divides and becomes two separate religious bodies. According to temple member Robert Charbrier, aka Peronic, the aims of OTS included establishing correct notions of authority and power in the world, an affirmation of the primacy of the spiritual over the temporal, assisting humanity through a great transition, preparing for the second coming of Christ, who is a solar God King, and furthering a unification of all Christian churches and Islam, they wanted to unite the world's greatest religions under one umbrella, under the OTS. The group reportedly drew some inspiration from its teachings from the British occultist Alistair Crowley, who headed the Ordo Templi Orentis, which was an occult initiation organization from 1923 until his death in 1947. And the her Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was a secret society to study and practice the occult, also known as a magical order. Both occult groups had a grading system for their members. There were OTS lodges in Morin Heights and Saint Anne de la Parade in Quebec, Canada, as well as in Australia, Switzerland. Martinique, and other countries. OTS activists were a mix of early Christian identity, UFO religion, and New Age philosophy using various adapted Freemason rituals. So, the Christian identity for, I mean, I had to look this shit up, so I got to let everyone else know. Christian identity is an interpretation of Christianity, which advocates the belief that only Celtic and Germanic people, such as the Anglo-Saxon, Nordic nations, and Aryan people, and people of kindred blood, are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and are therefore the descendants of the ancient Israelites. Kindred blood generally means you are related to, I mean, like, kindred blood, right? Like, you're related to the person, but... Kindred blood also means vampires. <laughs> so I got to throw that in there. Um, I mean, I'm guessing it means like the related people, but you know what? <laughs> it probably means vampires <laughs> in this scenario. Probably. Because it's a cult. Just saying. Mm -hmm. The UFO religion is exactly what it sounds like. It's any religion where people believe in the existence of extraterrestrial entities, so ET, they believe that ETs want what's best for humanity. And some believe that the ETs are more like angels than corporeal beings. So they're more of a phys or uh, non-physical form. Yeah. 
One of the most popular UFO <laughs> religions is Scientology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a so doubt. I was actually quite surprised to see how many there were. Oh, but, yeah? Yeah. Oh, I was, I was very surprised. But Scientology is definitely the one that everyone would know. So, yeah, that's why I put that in there. So, yeah, they're definitely one of the UFO religions. New Age, for those that don't know, is a range of spiritual and religious practices and beliefs. This will come as no shock. The founders of the OTS were very interested in attractive, rich members. Of course. It was like, uh, why wouldn't they be? Right. And it was alleged that several affluential Europeans were secret members of the group. A former member whose ex-husband was a huge believer in the cult teaching said that the cult was only really interested and all about taking money from the rich. And she said, uh, so her name was Rose Marie Klaus. Uh, She said that her husband and her, like pre them separating, lost over half a million dollars. Wow. In an organic farm scheme in Quebec that the sect had set up. Others lost millions. Wow. And she said that Luke, so one of the founders, believed he was Christ and that's what he preached. According to OTS literature, the main authority was the synarchy of the temple. The people in this position were always kept secret. Nobody knew who they were. The top 33 members were called the Elder Brothers of Rosie Cross and were located in Zurich, Switzerland. The council formed clubhouses, which they refer to as lodges, that were run by a regional commander and three elders. Everyone was graded and had a level within the cult, which is not surprising. Each level had three grades per level, known as the Brothers of Parvis, the Knights of the Alliance, and the Brothers of the Ancient Times. So many organizations were associated with the OTS and offered the teachings of the founder Luke. The lodges had altars, rituals, and costumes. Each member was initiated at each stage of their advancement within the group with ceremonies that included expensive purchases, jewelry, costumes, regalia, regalia, I I never know how to say that. So for people that don't know, it's like crowns, scepters, and other ornamental shit that the royals would be coronated with. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff. And the payment of their initiation fees. And I tried to find out what those initiation fees were, but I couldn't find them. But again, they only invited rich people. So I'm guessing it was it was quite high, especially if they took millions yeah. from people. During the ceremonies, members wore crusader-type robes and held a sword, which one of the founders, Joseph, said was an authentic Templar artifact given to him thousands of years ago in a previous life. Yeah, you heard that, right? Okay, buddy. Mm -hmm. These groups believed that the world was coming to an end very, very soon. Luke, one of the founders, brainwashed his followers and members 
They all saw themselves as superior beings whose survival was needed to relaunch the human race after a cataclysm they saw coming because of the deterioration in world affairs. This was a quote. I have no idea from who, but it was kind of one of the people in the group. One of their fundamental teachings was the belief that Earth would face a worldwide catastrophe in the mid-1990s. Surprise, surprise, we're all here still. So the members believed that it was necessary and this was the only way out was to enter and experience a higher spiritual plane. Obviously. This was it. This, this was their only way out. Yeah, that's it. Yep. In October of 1994, cult member Anthony Dutois, his wife Nicole Robinson, and their three-month-old infant son named Emmanuel were killed at a group's center in Morin Heights in Quebec. Emmanuel's poor little body had been stabbed repeatedly with a wooden stake. Four days after their murder, their chalet was set on fire with their bodies inside. They say that one of the founders ordered the murder because he said that the baby was the Antichrist. And this fucker believed he was Jesus. He believed that the Antichrist was born into the order to try and stop him from reaching his spiritual goal in life. Later, Joseph, so one of those founders and 12 followers, performed a ritual called the Last Supper. And for most of you that may not know, that's from the Bible. After the Last Supper, there were mass suicides and murders that took place in Cherie and Salvan in Switzerland. At the Morin Heights location in Quebec in Canada, 15 members committed suicide with poison. 30 others were killed by being shot or suffocated and eight others were killed, but there was no specification how. They found many victims in a secret underground chapel in Switzerland that was lined with mirrors and things with Templar symbolism. The bodies were dressed in the ceremonial robes and they were lined up in a circle. Most of them had plastic bags tied over their heads and were shot in the head. Oh my God. They say the plastic bags over their heads was a warning that humanity would experience an environmental disaster. Once the OTS members moved on from this world to the star named Sirius in the sky. They also say that the bags were potentially just a part of the ritual and that members wore them willingly, knowing that they were gonna be shot there's evidence that the some of the victims in Switzerland were drugged before the bags were put on and they were shot. So yeah, I'm guessing a lot of those victims didn't know for sure that that was that was it for them. Yeah. They also found other victims in three different chalets. Amongst these victims were several children that were laying together. The authorities found the bodies only because they were called to fight the fires that were ignited by remote control devices. They found letters from the believers stating that they believed they were leaving to escape the hypocrisies and oppression of this world. They found the dead body of the mayor of Richelieu, Quebec, journalist Jocelyn Grand Mason, 
a civil servant and a sales manager amongst the dead in Switzerland. Police in Quebec had seized records showing that some members personally donated over $1 million to the cult. Another attempted mass suicide of the remaining members was prevented from happening in the late 1990s. All the suicides and attempted murders occurred around the dates of the equinoxes and solstices. 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 Now you got got me shook. Solstices. Yeah, solstices. In some relation (laughs) to the belief of the group, like with all of all the stuff they believed in. Anyway. Yeah, all that whack shit. All that whack shit. Another mass uh, suicide slash murder, because I totally believe a lot of it was murder, took place during the night of uh, December 15th of 1995. They found 16 bodies on the 23rd of December in a star formation in the Vercourse Mountains in France. 14 of the members were shot to death by two of the members. And then they sacrificed their lives. So the two members sacrificed their lives by shooting themselves and then setting themselves on fire. What a way to die. One of the dead bodies belonged to French Olympian Edith Bonlio. She was 61 at the time. Wow. There was a lot of super, I guess, influential people, like people like it with high ranks in society. It was, it's, I mean, but I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm like, whoa. Yeah, totally. Like, whoa. Yeah. On March 23rd of 1997, five members took their lives in St. Casimir, Quebec, by setting house on fire. They found three teenagers, aged 13, 14, and 16, drugged but alive in a shed behind that house. They were the kids of the members that had set themselves on fire. So at least they let those three live. Yeah. I wonder where those kids are, man, like being brought up in the cult and then... Like, I, uh, I can't even imagine. No. no. Apparently, Luke and Joseph, which were the two members of this cult, were also found dead amongst all of this bullshit. Oh, yeah. So, at least they kind of went with the rest that they fucking bullshitted, I suppose, right? Yeah. The members that were murdered and didn't willingly commit suicide were considered traitors or weaker members And that's why they were murdered. They were saying that that's what they needed to make the transition to this higher plane. So they were too weak. They were traitors. They were afraid. So boom, we're going to fuck your shit up and we're going to kill you. Because that's what you need right now to get to that fucking higher plane. So was it it super in the sky? Uh, something like that. Ser- serious, I think was the name of the star. Serious, I don't yeah, know. It was, I think you were right. I but Jesus is like Jesus, according to this, was like the super god or something. Go- uh, I don't know. Anyway, I read that the European branch didn't want to send money to Quebec, so they had multiple branches across the world. But the big ones were Quebec, and Canada, Switzerland, and they eventually <laughs> didn't see eye to eye. So Europe started sending, stopped, sorry, sending money to Quebec. Some of these mass suicides and murders were not actually suicide. It was all a way of keeping them fucking quiet. Michael Tabachnik, an international renowned Swiss musician, 
and conductor was arrested in the late 90s as a leader of the OTS. They indicted him for, quotes, participating in a criminal organization and murder, end quote. His trial began in France of 2001 during the spring, but he was acquitted. French prosecutors appealed against this verdict and a second trial took place in October of 2006, but he was again cleared of all charges. Gee, I wonder if <laughs> any of those high members, those high right. secret members were a reason why... You know, he was like let off the hook. Definitely not. And that's my story. Amazing. Fuck yeah. Amazing. These dude. fucking cults, man. Oh, they're insane. Yeah. It was just like it was just crazy to read. Like, and I had heard about it, but I forgot that it was in Canada. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Quebec. They, yeah. They try and be their own country, but <laughs> yeah, they're a part of Canada. Anyway, for now. So for now. I mean, they've tried for fucking years. Oh, Since yeah. I was a kid, yep. they tried to be their own country. Yep. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, no, it was just fucking weird. And it blows my mind that these educated people in these high-ranking positions yeah. are a part of this. And yeah, so I am, I, I'm not surprised that he was acquitted twice. <laughs> Cults are bad. Cults are bad. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't matter how good they seem at the beginning. And we've seen, uh, oh my God, I've seen some movies. Yes, they're movies, but I know movies. <laughs> yeah. Some of them have, uh, they're based on reality. And some of the shit, it always looks amazing and nice when you come in. And then all the crazy comes out. Oh, but, for sure. But you're in it now and you yeah. can't get out because if you try, they'll kill you. Or you have nowhere to go. You have no financial freedom. Well, because they isolate yeah, you from all that. Yeah, it's huge isolation. Yeah, they huge. isolate you from everything. So, like, all yeah. of a sudden, you like, own you. You ha yeah, you have you have no job because yeah. like your work has been within whatever. Within the cult, your money goes to them. Totally. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Well, I'm, I want out," and you're they're like, "Okay, good luck." Yeah. Where are you gonna go? Yeah, your family and friends have basically think you're abandoned them yeah money what money yeah we have all your money we have all your money cults are bad cults are bad they're bad all right all right i think we're done we're done i am like ready to fucking pass out yeah and you need to drive home yeah or, i still have to drive home i know i'm sorry or you can pass out here if you're like if you're like that tired pass out here I think once I, I'll, I'll see how I like am fresh once I air. get up. Okay, all right. Okay. I walk around, and if I'm still like this tired, then yeah, I'll just Bed. sleep here. Because and then I'll drive I'd rather home you be, I, I'd rather you be safe. No, yeah. for sure, definitely. But as of right now, like if I lean back, I'd be out. Well, yeah, well, I'm that's, so tired. I know. I'm so sorry. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked for like three hours. We talked for so long. So long. This is fun, but now I'm like, fuck me. It's probably almost one in the morning. It's 11:44. Uh, oh well, that's a lot better than I thought. <laughs> I definitely thought it was pushing one. I was like, oh my god, it's gonna be like 12:45. No. No, it's not quite midnight yet. So you could potentially, you will get home if you're okay before one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like by 1230 ish. Then if you like leave now. Fucking KO into bed. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Pretty if much. I'm, once I get up, if I'm still this tired, then yeah, I'll just sleep here and I'll leave. And then go I'll home. Yeah. By like 530. Yeah. And, and go home. And that's good. All right, peeps. We love you. I love you too. Sorry. I was yawning. I'm so fucking tired.
No, don't be sorry. I love you guys too. Social media. Yeah. Do we need to repeat it? Maybe. I don't know. I think we should every okay. episode just in sure. case we have newcomers who are like, oh, oh, yay. I'll listen to episode 24 to start with. Yeah. And then if we don't bring it up. That actually that actually happens. Yeah. People will message me and they heard like the last episode and not go to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Social media. We have Instagram. Mm-hmm. We have Facebook. Those are our two main platforms. It is at my ride or die podcast. We have Twitter, which sucks ass. Literally. Especially now that Elon Musk owns it. Oh, well, I don't even I don't even care about that. Fucking, no, it's just because he's such a bitch. But Fucking whatever. Bitch I don't need, I don't Twitter was a bitch before he <laughs> I bought know, it. I know it's always been a bitch. I just don't like him. So it just, it makes it even worse. Fine. Twitter, bleh. He actually bought it, I think, with the intention of, like, getting rid of it or something dumb like that. Like, Oh, I getting think. rid of it completely? Yeah. Like, he was oh, just really? like, I can buy it and just... I think is what I read. But anyways, Twitter sucks. Uh, but if you're on Twitter, you can try and find us. We do not update it. It is my ride or die pod because, yeah. like, whatever. They need to be special. Our email is my ride or die podcast at gmail.com and we encourage you to write to us with whatever stories and and stuff and and if you have complaints we have a special folder for that what do we do it with that Chantel? fuck you yeah totally so they will go into that special folder we may or may not read it that's it bitches that's it Have a good night. Good night, bitches. Bye. Bye.